Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, Micah 6, verses 1 through 8, and that would be on page 866 of your pew Bible. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Listen also for God's word. Do listen also for God's word as it comes to us in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The year was 2002. The place was Long Island. And a group of elders and pastors met to plan a forum for the presbytery to discuss the divisive topic of whom Presbyterians shall ordain. And the program was scheduled for May of 2003. At the planning meeting, the bright young pastor of the Port Jefferson Church made a prescient observation. She said, you know, by the time we hold this event, our nation will be at war. We can't only be talking about ordination during a time of a national crisis. And the group heeded her counsel. The forum named Honoring All Voices was expanded to include the topics of peacemaking and just war theory. And the war with Iraq began in March of 2003. Fast forward to December 2019, and the former pastor of the Port Jefferson Church phoned me to ask if I would be the preacher at this 10th anniversary celebration. And I am certain that it did not escape Molly's attention that at this very moment, Washington would be the epicenter of a constitutional crisis. Preach on February 2nd? Sure, that's what friends are for. Thanks, Molly. And you did note that disclaimer when she introduced me. I'm not sure what she'll say today. <laughs> but fear not, we will not talk about the constitutional crisis. Christy Schmidt suggested that I share the story of how Molly and I happened to be friends. Long ago, we met at Princeton Seminary at a continuing education event, and we found ourselves in a lengthy conversation with two other pastors. And as that conference was coming to a close, the four of us made a covenant to meet together once a year to talk about ministry and life. And over the course of three decades, we have shared the highs and lows of our lives, the challenges, the roadblocks, and the celebrations. We are bound by our Christian faith, bound by our common life in the church, and we know how to laugh at ourselves. Any who have an intimate circle of friends are fortunate to enjoy the feeling of belonging. Young people can tell us that school is bearable if they have friends knowing that there are one or two people to hang with before class, between, uh, between classes, during lunch, belonging to a little group that knows, that accepts you no matter what, makes getting through the day possible. And knowing you are not alone makes all the difference in the world. The disciples of Jesus have such a group. They belong to his inner circle. They are with Jesus when he teaches in the synagogues and preaches throughout Galilee. And this tightly knit group is with Jesus when he heals the afflicted. And we eventually learn that the disciples are not perfect. They quarrel amongst themselves over who is Jesus' favorite. They fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before his arrest. Simon Peter denies knowing Jesus. 
The disciples are flawed, but that does not disqualify them from laboring with Jesus throughout his ministry. Relations that are strong enough are forgiving. Jesus never gives up on his friends. He accepts them as they are, ordinary people who dedicate their lives to the extraordinary proposition, follow me. Your pastor accepted a similar call to follow Jesus. She had faith that God called her into pastoral ministry, and she trusted that God called her to this Chevy Chase congregation. I remember being in the Tykert home on Ashborough Drive after Molly's installation. I was seated, seated on the sofa next to Elizabeth Blythe, and Molly's mother was radiant. She exuded the quiet joy and pride of a mother who knew that her daughter was right where she was supposed to be. Molly had the gifts and skills to serve this brilliant, dynamic congregation. And Mrs. Blythe also was realistic. She knew Molly would fall short of doing everything that the church desired. Nevertheless, she was confident that her daughter's efforts would be enough. She had seen Molly in action. She knew Molly's record. No, Molly did not put an end to apartheid in South Africa, but she publicly added her voice to those who protested it was an evil system. No, Molly did not douse the flames when wildfires ravaged the pine barrens of Long Island, but she stood in the charred ashes with weary firefighters who did. No, Molly could not stop the insidious theft of Alzheimer's, but she shared the journey with her parishioner's family who watched their mother retreat in place. No, Molly did not change gun ownership laws, but her congregation distributed free safety locks to local residents. Mrs. Blythe knew the limitations of her daughter as well as her heart and her strength. And she knew Molly was a capable pastor who would be faithful to her call. And so 10 years ago, Elizabeth Artis Sodoman Blythe sat on the sofa, beaming with radiant gladness, for she knew that the pairing of Molly and Chevy Chase was a good thing. Would that we all could have that reflection of affirmation and joy. So many of us are pressed to make our lives work without the pat on the back, the I'm so proud of you, the this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Perhaps this is why Jesus gives his disciples the Beatitudes. Maybe Jesus wants to strengthen their resilience to better prepare them for times of disappointment, to remind them that their efforts are not in vain. Jesus meets privately with the disciples on the mountain. 
He shores up their confidence to reassure them to have courage, even when it is a daunting proposition to follow Jesus. And if we read too quickly, we may miss the description of this intimate moment between Jesus and his friends. We may envision Jesus delivering the Beatitudes to large crowds, preaching a grand sermon with scores of people listening in rapt attention. But that is not what happened. The Sermon on the Mount was not anything like President Donald Trump holding a rally at a convention center. It was not like Senator Elizabeth Warren speaking to a packed gymnasium in Iowa. It was not like a TED Talk or a halftime show. This was not even like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speaking on the Washington Mall. There are crowds on the mountain, big crowds, but when Jesus sees them, he scoots up the mountain, and his disciples join him. And the mountain moment between the disciples and Jesus is more like a gathering of one's most cherished family and friends in a living room or around a picnic table. The Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus gathers with his closest friends, and to them alone, he teaches about the nine blessings that occur in challenging times. And again, fear not, we'll only talk about two of them. The first thing that Jesus does is encourage his disciples. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we think of the poor in spirit, we may use an image of one whose shoulders slump in despair, one who is losing heart. And we are familiar with the posture of those who are discouraged. And Jesus' teaching is very similar to another saying that was popular at the time, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, giving vigor to the shoulders of the bowed and to the lowly spirit's firmness to the melting heart. God will rejuvenate the defeated. God will give them new resolve. They may lift up their heads, square their shoulders, and take heart. The essence of Jesus' teaching is that God will lift up the poor in spirit. They will make it through times of despondency. And the encouragement continues. Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. While we may use these words at funerals and at other times of loss, Jesus is speaking of a different kind of mourning. Jesus talks about the grief that we experience when we present ourselves before God. We realize we are sinners who fall short of God's design for our lives, and it kills us. We are crushed that we will never be all that God desires for us. At some point, we have a day of reckoning. It is an internal judgment day. This is not a pearly gates moment after we die. It is the moment when we realize that we are a disappointment to ourselves and to God. And Jesus says that we are blessed in that moment of truth. For God shall comfort us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Jesus echoes the words of the prophet Isaiah. 
Isaiah says, God shall provide for those who mourn in Zion to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness. In spite of any shortcomings, in spite of sinfulness, God receives us like we are honored guests. Imagine having a garland of flowers placed around our necks. Imagine having God do that and anoint us with an oil of gladness and wrap a shawl of praise around our shoulders. How comforting. Those who have traveled to Hawaii or India or other regions that practice hospitality have had that warm feeling of having a wreath of flowers placed around one's neck. And imagine if we were to receive a garland of flowers to begin the season of Lent instead of the cross of ashes. Imagine being anointed with the oil of gladness. The process of anointing is to set apart someone for a particular purpose. Our purpose is gladness instead of mourning. And then imagine being wrapped in a mantle of praise. Well, Molly, you don't have to imagine that because in a little bit they're going to give you a chasuble. And so you will be wrapped in praise. So consider this, consider if God were to fashion a garment for you, woven with praise. And imagine if God were to place that mantle around your shoulders. Imagine if God were to wrap you with a mantle of praise. This is what Isaiah says God shall do, and Jesus makes that promise too. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we find ourselves grieving our limitations, God shall comfort us. And the comfort is more than a hang in there, life will get better. The comfort is a mantle of praise. Nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God. The recurring themes in the Sermon on the Mount are those of encouragement and affirmation for those who desire to be in Christ. We are to straighten our shoulders and take heart. We are to be comforted. We do what we can, and that is enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.